What is up, guys? My name is KJ, short for Khalil Jones, and I'm so glad to be back with you guys in the new year, the year 2022. It seems like last year went by so quick, but it's so wonderful to be in the new year. And the crazy thing is, this month is already almost over. It's almost valid, uh, February. And so, um, how crazy is the year already kicking off? I mean, you guys are probably uh, entertained by the sports and the football. You guys know I'm a Green Bay fan, so hopefully my team can go all the way this year. But to jump us in the topic today, um, in my last podcast episode, I mentioned that I would um, talk about the topics of the Saturday evangelism and maybe have some other episodes coming out. But today, I wanted to focus on evangelism. So often today in our culture, many Christians don't know how to evangelize. And I believe um, that God is still giving people the gift of evangelism. Um, I guess you can call them evangelists. Um, I don't believe that you know there's such thing as apostles roaming around about. I know some black some black churches in my community they say they're they're apostles, but biblically there's no such thing. When when um, John died in Revelation, that was the last apostle. And you can look in I think Corinthians, Paul tells us the kind of qualifications of an apostle, and New Testament does as well. But I believe that God has still gifted people with uh, the gift of evangelism. Now, does that mean that? Christians aren't supposed to evangelize by no means because the Bible clearly says that all of us to a certain degree should be evangelists. Now, everybody may not have the gift of evangelism, but all of us are called to be evangelists or missionaries. One of our favorite preachers, Charles Spurgeon, says that you're either a missionary for Jesus or you're not saved, essentially, because it's impossible to be hit with the gospel and change and not kind of share this message. But today, many Christians don't share the message because they don't know how to. A lot of times it's for fear, and a lot of times people maybe just don't do it at all. So there's many reasons why, but I believe the number one reason is because they don't know how to. So today my job, I'm going to try my best to kind of um, share a good story from the Bible to explain how to share the gospel. Um, just a little bit about me. I know it's been a while since i kind of done a podcast on myself, but it may be, maybe many of you guys are probably new. Um, I think it was the year 2017. So it's been about four years now I've been a believer. But four years ago, kind of due to fast version of my testimony, I attempted to commit suicide four different times. And on my fourth attempt, uh, I was, I guess on my third attempt, I was diagnosed with bipolar and mood disorder. I struggled with bipolar depression. And so my doctor or counselor, whatever you want to call it, therapist, she gave me antidepressants. And so I would take these antidepressants and hope to cure my depression. But nothing worked. Not even my antidepressants. I think it's kind of funny that the doctor even said that these pills would make my depression worse before it got better, which is kind of crazy. But anyway, fast forward. Uh, in this point in time in my life, I was um, selling drugs, addicted to marijuana, and bondage to pornography, sex. Um, I was starting to drink. I wanted to be part of this game. Um, shooting guns. This is a lot, a lot of things. Partying. Doing all the things the world says to do to have fun in hopes that, that those things would cure my depression, but not one of those things would cure my depression at all. I'd, ever, I'd, have, I'd had everything the world's had to do and chase. Like Solomon said, I was, I was I wasn't rich, but <laughs> I didn't. Uh, I did everything the world's had to do, but nothing cured my depression. And so I tried to commit suicide for the fourth time. And this time I actually overdosed off my um, antidepressants. It was so bad that I was from out to mouth, seizuring and everything. And that rushed me immediately to the hospital. When I was in the hospital, the doctor said, you know, KJ, finally we're going to get you some help. And he, you know, put me to me in rehab. 
and while I was in rehab, in this point in my life, I was an atheist. I had stopped believing in God because I was like, how can God be real if so much bad happens in the world? And also in my life, like the depression and different relations I had with different people, like I said, there's no way God can be real. Now, part of that is because I grew up in a prosperity church that preached, you know, God's going to bless you. God's going to do these things for you. You know, you just have faith. God will give you that brand new Lamborghini, you know, <laughs> things of that nature, right? Joel Osteen type preaching. And, um, which it contradicts the Bible. Jesus never promised none of those things. I think, yes, Jesus does promise us prosperity, but it's not the prosperity that people take and abuse today in these churches, especially in the black community. Um, but when I got older and I started to see that, like, that God they were preaching was not real, I became an atheist. But I never actually read the Bible for myself to kind of figure out who the, the God of scriptures is. And so um, while I was in rehab, I was an atheist, like I said, but it was kind of ironic. My roommate, his name was David. He was an evangelist while I was in rehab. So it's crazy how God kind of orchestrated that story. Uh, me being in rehab, an atheist, not believing him no more, and my roommate's an evangelist, whose duty is to share the gospel. And so while we're in rehab, uh, David mentioned how, you know, he never shared the gospel, but he did tell me like different stories, how God or Jesus was using him in his ministry and the consequences of sin while he was there things of that nature. And so on the last day, uh, I guess God was soft in my heart the whole week while I was in rehab. Like I said, I was atheist. I hated God at this point. But that whole week, it's like I was listening to everything my roommate David was saying. And on the last day, it was time for both of us to leave to kind of go back to our normal lives. And David was just staring out the window. I thought he was crazy. crazy. But um, he said, KJ, you may think this is crazy, but I feel that Jesus wants me to tell you that you're called to be a, you know, a preacher one day. I thought it was crazy because, again, I'm selling drugs, doing drugs, you know, pornography, sex, drinking, want to be part of a game, like all these things that, again, is terrible. And this man said, you're going to be a preacher. And the only preacher preaching that I know was prosperity kind of preaching. So I was like, nah, that's not me. But it was something about what he said that kind of resonated with me because uh, when I went home for myself, I actually started reading my Bible for the first time outside of church. Now, I didn't understand it all the way, but I started to just kind of read it a little bit. And so um, fast forwarding, I went to college my freshman year, the University of Arkansas at Palm Bluff, and um, there was a campus minister, and I ended up having a conversation with him, and he shared the gospel with me, and that was the first time I heard about sin, uh, just more than Jesus dying on the cross, but the seriousness of sin and how that sin was going to leave me in hell, and I need a relationship with Jesus. And so at the end of that conversation, like it was like my life just made sense, because up until that point, I was like hopeless, and had no hope, and I was just depressed, but when he shared the gospel with me, my entire life changed. And like in the moment, like I guess like a blink, a light bulb went on and like everything just made sense. And so as soon as I left that room, I text like five five to 10 friends and I kind of shared the gospel with them uh, via text message. And then within a two to three weeks after that, um, that week after, well, really I, I, I was sharing the gospel on phone calls and text messages for like two or three weeks. But then after like the cybership, I think within a month, I went out on campus and was sharing the gospel in person and um, it was through that that I figured out that I have the, the gift of evangelism. And again, all of us are called to be evangelists. So you don't have to have the gift of like, you know, evangelist to, to do so. We're commanded in Matthew 28 to go out and proclaim the gospel. But I feel like you know, uh, God just gave me the, the gift to do it at an extraordinary level. And part of that gifting is to give it to the church. And so that's my host today to kind of get the church with something pretty cool. I'm pretty sure many of you guys are familiar with this story. But it's in Matthew chapter 19, verse 23. Let me find it real quick. 
Oh, it's actually Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Now, before I read this passage in Matthew 19, I thought it would be pretty cool to do something different because you don't hear of many people that reform or classify themselves as Calvinists talk about evangelism. But one of the people that many people quote, I guess, as far as Tulip is John Calvin. And John Calvin, if you haven't read, he gives six reasons on why we should evangelize. The number one reason he says God commands us to do so. Yeah, obviously, you guys remember in Matthew 18, it's kind of self-explanatory. Jesus, oh, Matthew 28, Jesus commands us to do the Great Commission. So number two, well, the first reason, again, uh, John Calvin said God commands us to do so. The second reason, John Calvin says, we want to glorify God. Two Christians yearn to extend God's truth everywhere so that God may be glorified. Number three, he states that we want to please God. He writes again and again that it is a sacrifice well-pleasing to God to advance the spread of the gospel. Number four, we have a duty to God. It is the very jest that we should labor to further the progress of the gospel. He adds that it is our duty to proclaim the goodness of God to every nation. So number five, he says we have a duty to our fellow sinners. Our compassion should be intensified by knowing that God cannot be sincerely called upon by the others. Those to whom through the preaching of the gospel, his kindness and gentle dealings have become known. And lastly, he states that we are grateful to God. He says that we owe it to God to strive for salvation of others. If we do not, we are behaving on a contrary manner. He then states nothing can be more inconsistent concerning the nation of fate than the deadness which we should lead a man to disregard his brethren and to keep the light of the knowledge in his own breast. Essentially, what he's getting at is that how can someone say they're a Christian, but yet not give eternal life to those around him who are perishing? So, again, those um, six reasons why we should evangelize by Calvin is, again, he states God commands us to do so. We want to glorify God. We want to please God. We have a duty to God. We have a duty to our fellow sinners, and we are grateful to God. Now, when we think about that, again, that probably would contradict a lot of, uh, I guess, misconceptions that people hold about Calvinism. People who are Calvinists don't share the gospel. People that are reformed don't share the gospel. And again, I don't really care about the titles. I just care about what does the Bible say. Yes, I you know, align closer to the reformed faith or whatever you want to call it. I would classify myself. I would say I lean more towards reformed Baptist, but my identity is rooted in Jesus Christ. And so I would say, most importantly, I'm a Christian, but I lean more to that in my theology. But none of that matters if I'm not sharing the gospel, because true theology, again, should go to the heart. And so if I hold to any theology that contradicts the commands of God, what good is that, that, is that theology if it does not penetrate my heart? So now as we approach Matthew 19, you guys can go there with your Bibles if you read. I don't know if you're in a row, but I'll read it for you. <laughs> it says, um, now behold. One came and said to them, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to them, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. If you want to enter your life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So I'll stop right there, and I kind of springboard this into the topic of evangelism 101 on how to evangelize. So um, the first thing we will always do reading the Bible is try to understand who wrote the book. And obviously the title we're known as Matthew, the tax collector, the apostle. In the context, uh, Matthew's writing to a more Jewish audience, proving um, throughout this book how Jesus is the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. And so his writing style is strictly to Jews to kind of show them that this, this Messiah that you're waiting on is in fact Jesus. And he starts actually at the book 
with the lineage of all the people such as David, Solomon, all the way from Abraham, all the way down to David to prove how um, Jesus is Messiah. And so in this particular chapter, we're told that a man came up to him and he states to Jesus, good teacher. I believe in Luke 18, it says, um, a rich young ruler. And so this man was respected in the, the synagogues or around the Jewish area, I guess Judea or the area that we're in right here. He was respected and he was rich. And his question is pertaining, how do I get to heaven essentially? How do I get eternal life? The verse again says, now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing should I do that I might have eternal life? So um, a lot of times when I'm evangelizing, I kind of ask that instead of, um, you know, obviously in the story here, a man came and approached God and asked, how do I inherit eternal life? But when I'm evangelizing, I ask that same question, I guess, but I rephrase it in this way. So if you approach somebody, you ask this question, hey, if you were to die right now and stand before God, why do you think he will let you into heaven? And that's always one of my favorite go-tos because it immediately jumps a person from thinking about secular things right into a spiritual conversation pertaining about his salvation and God. So that question, nine times out of 10, if you ask somebody that question, they're going to tell you why well, I think I'm a good person. They're not going to say that word for word, but they are going to like give you reasons on why they think they're a good person and why being good will get them to heaven. And just like how that man was interested in getting to heaven, that question will let you know whether or not somebody is going to heaven or not based on the answer they give. Now, a lot of times um, it's rare, but it does happen. You could be dealing with somebody that's a Christian that's actually saved, but may not have had a discipleship and can give you a workspace answer as well. So you have to be cautious, but like, you know, judging somebody, oh, they gave me a workspace answer, they're going to hell. Just be cautious with that. Because it's happened to me in the past as well. You know, somebody that was actually saved, you know, gave me a workspace answer, but... They just didn't have discipleship, but it was through that conversation we were able to discipleship that person. You know, now they're sharing the gospel as well, so that's pretty cool. Now, the further this story, uh, we keep going. It says, "So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God.' Now, why do you guys think Jesus would kind of flip this question back to the man? I believe it was to show this man that um, basically show him his true deity as the God Man. We speak about this in um, theology as the hyperstatic union." It basically means that God is 100% man and 100% God, or truly God, truly man, some may say. And it was um, in both these uh, offices that God, or Jesus, was good. And we know that Jesus is God, so he must be good. There's nothing in God except goodness, perfection, and holiness. So everything that God does, or Jesus does, it must be good because that's his essence, that's his character. He is a definition of goodness. And so this man... Not knowing of Jesus' true deity, he just says, you know, good teacher or rabbi, as Luke 18 says. And Jesus asks, you know, why do you call me good? His point was to show that morally, the Bible tells us, or this man should have known morally, the law tells us that no one is good. So no human born of a woman is good morally, according to God. A couple of verses I can go to, uh, Psalms 14, turn that real quick. Again, this man was a, some, some might say a teacher, a rabbi, a preacher, whatever you want to call him. He should have known what the law said as far as a man being morally good. So Psalms 14 says this, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seeks God. They have all turned aside. They have, they have together become corrupt. 
There is no one who does good, not even one. So essentially, uh, I'm pretty sure you guys know Romans 3. Paul quotes Psalms 14 in Romans 3, but many times we quote Romans 3 to kind of prove how no one is good today. But Paul is using Old Testament. And that Old Testament passage is, in fact, Psalms 14. And essentially, what it's stating is that, no, again, <laughs> morally, no one is good that's born of a woman. Well, somebody may say, how is that possible? You know, yesterday I fed the poor and I also passed out clothes. Um, recently, me and my students um, went on a mission trip to L.A. and we helped in a part of L.A. called Skid Row. And we we're giving out, you know, free food and clothes and helping people in the homeless. And that's considered by the world is a, a, a good deed. But the question is, would that get me to heaven by doing those things? And we can find out actually in this story. Again, verse 17 says, so he said to them, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But you want to enter life, keep the commandments. So essentially what Jesus is getting at is that um, basically his context, he knows this man is familiar with the law. And so he's trying to get this man to, I guess, memorize or rethink about the law that he read. So for them, the Bible would just be the Old Testament. So he's trying to get this man to think about the Bible that he's been reading how that Bible is supposed to point to the person that's in front of him, and that is the Messiah, Jesus. And so basically Jesus is using this man's own language to prove, number one, how he's God, but also prove, as we'll find out, that in his own law, he needs a Savior, and that Savior is, in fact, standing in front of him. Now, you haven't read before uh, Galatians 3.10, it says this, For as many as are the works of the law under the curse, for it's written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And then early in our passage, it says, if you desire to enter eternal life, you must keep the commandments. So basically what Jesus is getting at is that you must perfectly commit the, perfectly co keep the commandments without failing in any aspect. Now, if you didn't know, the Jews have over 613 laws. That's why this man right here says, well, what, which, one, which ones do I need to keep? And Jesus then goes to the moral commandments or the Ten Commandments. I think it's ironic. Jesus doesn't quote all 10, but he quotes uh, five right here or four right here. And if you notice, these four commands aren't the ones pertaining to like how we are the worship of God, but they're pertaining to how we are the word, you know, love our neighbor as ourselves. If you look in the text in verse 18, it said, Jesus said, you should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness Honor your father and your mother. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. So all these commands reflect how we are to treat our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus' point behind bringing this up is that how he treated his neighbor is not even worthy of getting to heaven. So think about this. Uh, there's 10 commandments. Obviously, the, the first four tell us, you know, how we are to love God. And the next six tell us how we are to, you know, love our neighbor. But Jesus' point was that. Even in those six, or right here we have four, but even in the six commands that he has love his neighbor, he doesn't even keep those commandments perfectly good. And so if Jesus were to ask him about the first four commandments, he definitely doesn't keep those commandments because they, I guess they go, you can say that both go hand in hand. How you love God is supposed to reflect on how you love people. You can't say you love people but don't love God. You can't say you love God but don't love people. And right here in this, in this text, Jesus is showing that he really doesn't love his fellow neighbor. So he definitely doesn't love God like you say he does. And that's supposed to point to a Messiah. I believe it's Romans 3 how Paul quotes that the law was given so that we can see our iniquities. And he also quotes that like it was because of the law that he no only needed a savior. 
in Romans, I believe three and four. And so here, that's, a, that's exactly what Jesus is doing right here to this man and showing how the law that you said you keep, you don't keep it perfectly. You need a savior. And that savior is, in fact, me. So we got to actually look at these laws. It says, number one, you should not commit murder. Now, many times when people hear that, they think of just physical murder. You know, you're not supposed to shoot nobody. You're not supposed to kill nobody. You're not supposed to stab nobody. Things of that nature. And yes, that's in fact true. But all of God commands have a spiritual meaning, especially the Ten Commandments. A deeper meaning is just it goes to the heart. It's not just outwardly external things. It's also eternal things. The Bible said God cares about the heart. Not just the hourly things. It was the heart because out of the heart, it, it'll let you know what who a person really is. And so even though many of you guys are listening right now may have not physically killed somebody, the Bible says we've all have spiritually killed many people. First uh, John 3.15, it says everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And in Matthew 5, we get a little bit more in depth of what that means. Uh, Jesus tells us we're not supposed to have anger in our heart. So you think about this. Nobody has ever woken up one day and just you know randomly killed somebody. It starts in the heart first, and then someone acts upon that action. And Jesus who is God is telling us that murder begins in the heart. So many of us, when we are angry in our heart towards people, that is in fact murder. If we hate someone, a brother or sister, that's in fact murder. So if you've ever been racist in your life towards anybody, or if you just have, have ever have, have hated somebody in one moment, or have been angry at somebody for an unjust reason, that would make you a, a murder in your heart. And that's in fact what Jesus was getting at to this man. And obviously there's not one person alive who is who is not broken that commandment? There's no way you can tell me you have never hated somebody in the heat of a moment, or you have never been angry towards somebody for an unjust cause. We've all broken that commandment. Now, the second um, commandment he lists is he says, you should not commit adultery. And again, another misconception about this command is that people tend to say that, um, well, I've never committed adultery because I don't have a you know a spouse and I haven't cheated on him. But again, the law of adultery basically means that like if you have any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage that makes you adulterer. But Jesus in Matthew 5 tells us that if you even look at a woman or a guy with lust, that makes you adulterer. So again, these physical laws have a spiritual meaning, which goes to the heart. So you can commit these commands in your heart without doing them physically, and God can still see that. And so you can break the command in your heart spiritually, if that makes sense. So again, you may not, you may still be a virgin, but if you've thought about sex with someone that's not your spouse as a virgin, that will make you an adulterer and that will make you guilty of breaking that command. The second one, it says you should not steal. Now, again, if you think about from the time that you were born to however old you are right now, I'm sure many of you guys have stolen things growing up. Um, I've seen many people say like this is like many of you had guys have had hourly jobs growing up. And um, the Bible says that we're supposed to do all things for the glory of God. And so if my job says I'm supposed to work eight to five, that means I'm supposed to give my job all of my time. And many times, instead of like devoting our time and that time frame to our job, we may be on our phone. And so unless our job tells us we use our phone, if we're on our phone, we're supposed to be on the clock. That's technically called stealing time because you're, you're supposed to be working because your job is paying to work. But yet you're on your phone. Stealing time by scrolling Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok, whatever it is, <laughs> we all do this. And so we all will be guilty of that command. And another one that says, you should not bear false witness. I just narrowed that down to you should not lie. When you think about this, um, you um, can read more in the story. But the, the man, he states that I've kept these commands since I was a, you know, a toddler. Essentially, what he was saying is that 
from the time when he was younger to now, he's never broken those commands. Now think about the way I just kind of broke that down. We've all have murdered in our hearts. We've all had committed adultery by lusting after somebody. It may not be to, you may not lust as much as you used to when you're younger, but the fact is you still done it. And then I'm sure we've all have stolen something, even a piece of candy as a kid growing up. And then lastly, I'm sure we, a lot of us lie every day, just about, there's not, there's no way that even as an adult, you're telling me that that man that was talking to Jesus in that moment has never committed one of those commandments. Because the Bible says we break God's law every day. And that man surely had broke God's law every day. And so this is one of my favorite stories of how Jesus evangelized and how we can turn this story into like a practical example. So again, the man's question was, how do I enter, enter into eternal life? And you can ask somebody, you know, wherever you may be, if you're thinking about evangel you know, evangelism, sharing the gospel with somebody, you can ask that question, hey man, what do you think it takes to get to heaven? Or you can say, you know, if you die right now and we're in the presence of God, and he says, well, why should I live in heaven? What would you say? A lot of times, um, you know, people may say, you know, if you die right now, do you feel like you would go to heaven or hell and why? So questions like that, it gets somebody's mind thinking about eternal things and their salvation. And again, nine times out of 10, you're more than likely going to hear a works-based answer because the Bible, it shows us how there's two ways to heaven. Is works-based or is faith, the faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. But the Bible eliminates one of those ways because like this man in his story, Jesus quotes the law, which is the, basically just, again, there are 613 laws, but Jesus just quotes the moral law, which is Ten, Command, Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments can be summarized in two. You should love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And nobody has perfectly done that. A lot of people think that, you know, I could do that, you know, keep the law, in certain areas at certain times of my life, but God is perfect. So if you fail at one point of the law, you've guilty of it. You can't just like fail and then do good works and hope that God will forgive you. God can forgive you, but you still broken this law and punishment must be given. So if you, even if you if you lie, let's say for example, you can compare yourself to Hitler. Hitler did terrible things, but to God, if you tell one white lie and it gets you Hitler on one side, to God, you're just as guilty because both of you guys have committed a heinous crime against him because God is holy, which means he's set apart. He must punish sin because he loves goodness. In order to love, you must hate the opposite of what you love. The example I always give is um, if you love children, you would hate the act of child rape or child molestation or child murder because it goes against what you love. So if God loves good, he must hate evil because it contradicts what he loves. So if God loves people, he hates murder. If God is truth, he hates lying. If God loves marriage and the sex within marriage, he would hate adultery because it goes against, again, all the things that who he is in essence. And the moral law, it reflects his character. It shows us his holiness. And again, Paul quotes this in Romans 3. So you can use a law in your conversation with people to kind of show them the need of a savior. So the way I evangelize is, again, I said my favorite question, which I mentioned earlier. Hey, or, you know, hey, you know, if you were to die right now, seven before God. And you're in his presence and he says, why shall I live in heaven? What would you say? And so once you hear what they say, sometimes, you know, give you an example. Someone can say, well, I feel like I'm a good person. You know, yesterday I fed the poor. You know, I have a four put on college. I've been baptized when I was younger. And I just feel like I'm a pretty good person. You know, I take care of my family. You know, all those things may be good in a worldly sense. But the question again is, do those, can those things get someone in heaven based off God's standard? And the answer is no. So once they kind of give whatever reason they want to give, after you ask that question, if they were to die right now, then you can immediately go to the law, the Ten Commandments. 
Um, you, you can use whatever ticket management you want to. I just use the, the typically use the four in this story. And sometimes I may add um, using Lord's name in vain. So for example, you know, you can ask these questions. You can flip a question on the person by saying, hey, have you ever lied before? And the answer, obviously the answer is yes. You can say, hey, have you ever stolen before? Even as a young child, one time growing up, obviously the answer will be yes. And then the Bible says, do not commit adultery. You can ask that question. Hey, um, do you know what I always ask? Do you know what adultery is? Because a lot of times people don't know what it is. They just think it's just cheating on their spouse. But you can say, have you ever, you know, lusted after someone even once growing up? And obviously someone's going to say yes. And so already um, there's three commandments broken right there. And then you also can ask, um, have you ever murdered anybody before? And typically when you say that, um, people are going to say no, because they think that command just means the physical, eternal thing, but the external thing. I'm, I'm sorry about that. But it's the internal thing that matters the most. So you can you can break that commandment without physically doing it in your heart. And so you can ask, have you ever been angry towards somebody for an unjust cause? Or have you ever had hatred in your heart for someone? Have you ever had, a, you know, been racist, you know, towards someone in your life? All those acts make you a murder in your heart. And so what I go to next is basically by showing them the law. I never tell them someone they go to hell. I never tell someone they're going to hell. I always let them figure out on themselves based on God's standard. And you can do that by saying, well, based on this, your answer to these questions, the Bible says that we're me and you are under the wrath of God. And I always like to include myself when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody because it kind of like disarms of someone you're dealing with. Because a lot of times us as Christians, we think that we're conceited in, in our actions. So like we're kind of above unbelievers. But by placing yourself in the story that you're kind of get the gospel message, because the gospel is for us as well. Even today as believers, we still need the gospel daily. And in fact, the gospel keeps us every day. So when you're sharing the gospel with someone, you always want to include yourself. So you say, you know, man, I've broken his commandments day, but you know, every day myself, and I need a savior. And so by sharing the gospel with somebody, you show them how the law it points to God's character, how he's holy, and how mankind is unholy. And basically, again, I always say that like God is a judge. And so I live in America, obviously, but for those of you who don't in America, and in America, if you break the law, there's typically punishment that goes to people for breaking the law. And so I like to use the illustration that if you're in America and you're speeding or, you know, you, you pass a cop, what would happen? The cop would give you a ticket more than likely. If you murdered somebody in America, what would happen? You broke the law, you go to jail. Whatever law it is, if you break the law, you don't get some kind of punishment. And the Bible tells us that God is a judge and God has laws. And there's 10 laws that you must keep to get to heaven, his qualification. And so if you fail at any one of those laws, you're guilty and unable to inherit eternal life. And not only that, the Bible says the wrath of God abides on you. A lot of times people say you need to get saved, but we don't know what we need to get saved from. And the Bible tells us that we need to get saved from God's wrath in a place called hell forevermore. And God, when he causes us to repent, He's trying to, he's basically trying to get us to, um, he's saving us from himself in hell. So when you're trying to gospel with someone, you can tell them that we all need a savior and to be saved from God's wrath. Because if we were to die in our current state, um, judged by our works, no one can get to heaven. And that's in fact what Jesus was trying to show this man in the story that your good works, Isaiah tells us are filthy rags. And an illustration today we use it, it's like a tampon. And I'm sure many of you guys know what a tampon is. It's dirty for girls who use it when they're on their cycles. So our good works to God amount to a dirty tampon that a girl may use to help her in our cycle. Think about that. Your best thing you could do, me going on a mission trip and helping in the community of homeless people, 
it's like a tampon to God. It's dirty. It's filthy. It's a filthy rag to God. Now, that's a crazy illustration the Bible will give us, but that's, in fact, what it is. So if I've lied, if I've committed adultery, if I've stolen, if I've broken any Ten Commandments, and I try to do good to I with my bad, according to God, I'm going to hell because none of those things, none of those good things can enter me into eternal life. So the question then becomes, how can someone get into heaven? And the answer is a relationship with Jesus. It's turning from sin and placing our faith in God. Now, obviously, we know that God has to do the work. You know, as we're sharing the gospel, we can't save anybody. But that makes our job a little bit easier, knowing that I don't have to do anything except share the message to someone and pray for them. And that's what will save them is that the message itself, obviously, guys, you know, has to change your heart. But it's the message that God uses to change hearts. So, again, as a brief recap, you start with the question, whatever initial question you want to start with. Again, I mentioned some questions such as, hey, if you die right now, what do you feel like what happened to a person after they die? You can ask someone a question if they died or they feel like they would go to heaven or hell and how confident are they on the scale of one to ten. My favorite question I always ask is if you died right now and you're in the presence of God, why would he let you in heaven? And again, someone's going to respond typically with a you know workspace answer. And once they give the answer, you can immediately go to the Ten Commandments. Paul tells us the Ten Commandments is used to show us our transgression and also is used to point us to Jesus. So I spend a lot of my time in my conversation, more than likely 80% of my time talking about sin and 20% of my time talking about Jesus. Now, obviously, Jesus is bigger than you know our sin, but in order to receive Jesus, one must fully understand the sin. And so as you kind of jump to the law, you can just ask whatever Ten Commandments you want to and a question. So the Bible says, don't, com you know, don't commit adultery. You can ask somebody, have they ever committed adultery? Now, I never say that word for word. I just say, like, do you know what adultery is first? To make sure they understand what it is, and typically, like again, people you know don't, very, very, you know, people don't know so that they think it's cheating on their spouse. But the Bible classifies it as fornication before marriage, with you know any kind of sexual activity before marriage with someone that's not your spouse. But also is lust. So you can ask somebody have ever lusted after someone, have they ever had sex for marriage? And if they say yes, you keep going to you know three other commandments such as have you lied before, have you ever stolen, have you ever had anger in your heart or hated somebody. Like all those things, it, the answer is yes to those questions. Not you know, sometimes it's been rare, but I have people that say no to those, and that's fine. If they say no to three, but say yes to one, all you have to do is say how many sins did it take for Adam and Eve to get you know kick out the garden, and the Bible tells us one. So you only have to you only have to sin one time in order for God's wrath to abide on you, or be subjected to His wrath. And so the Bible tells us that we're commanded to repent and trust in Jesus, and the law. Um, the sins that you're highlighting right now, even if it's just one, it still points to the holiness of God. God is holy and perfect. Uh, there's no uh, good works that we can amount or do that will please him. Nothing in the flesh we do is, in fact, good. I believe the Bible tells us, I forgot what verse it is, but it says anything not done in faith is sin. So even if an unbeliever were to help an old lady walk across the street, that act would still be sinful. I think it's called civic, civic, civic virtue. So good works that unbelievers do they're not really good because they're rooted in someone that's unbeliever, obviously, but also the act. If you go deeper than that, it's motivated not by Jesus, but it's motivated for something sinful. So, for example, um, the Bible tells us to obey the laws of the land. And I, I don't do this all the time, but I try my best to uh, not speed. And so me personally, I wouldn't speed because I'm trying to you know, obey my father and please him. But somebody else may not speed because they don't want a ticket. And see, that's the difference between uh, that's what's called civic virtue. So in the moment, an unbeliever can obey the Bible by obeying the laws of the land, which is no speed. 
But the reason why they ban the Bible is not because they want to please the Father. It's because they want to please themselves. They want they're satisfied with themselves. They it's self gratification. And so unbelievers can't do any good. And by showing us, you know, pointing somebody in the conversation to the law, your main emphasis is kind of show that you're a sinner. Now you don't have to tell somebody you're a sinner <laughs> word for word, or tell somebody they're going to hell. Just by showing them the law, nine times out of ten, they'll know like the wrath of God is abiding on them. But you kind of say, you know, this this has been bad news, but I have some good news. And that's when I that's when I say there is hope. The Bible tells that two thousand years ago, the you know God the Father sent His only Son named Jesus, who lived a perfect life, who was a God man, which means He was truly God and truly man, or fully God and fully uh, man. And He lived a perfect life. He walked on water. He did many miracles. But the Bible tells us He died and rose again, showing us that He had the power over sin and death, and that He was God. Because I never seen another man die and rise again. He must be God if He can do the thing that Jesus did. And so by doing so. Um, that's kind of the full gospel, who Jesus was and what he accomplished. And somewhere in that message, after you kind of point to one, how they've broken the law, you can get to the gospel and share it any kind of way you want to. Obviously, again, there's different ways of going about sharing the gospel, but as long as you highlight the focus of who Jesus is and what he accomplished, I think that's a pretty good, solid gospel um, presentation. So this is just the first episode, uh, one-on-one. There's other ways I share the gospel. Um, next time I do this episode, it'll be about the three circles. But for right now, this is just what you call, I guess, <laughs> the dry evangelism, whatever cold evangelism, whatever they call it today. It's just going up to my day randomly and um, sharing the gospel. And this is my favorite way of doing it. So I hope you guys enjoyed. If you guys have any questions, just hit me on my Facebook.